Welcome back to Yes X or No Audio. Well, hello everybody. It's Sunday, the 3rd of December, about half past three in the afternoon here on the Eastern Seaboard of Australia. And welcome to another episode of Week in Review. It is the end of week 48. And to put it mildly, a lot of stuff has been going on. Um, so let's get on with the program. Part one, any more headlines. Section one, the genocide. Biden moves to lift restrictions on Israel's access to US weapons stockpile. Israeli airstrikes put Syria's Damascus airport out of service. Little note there, there's the uh, disapproval of my claim that Israel wouldn't be so stupid as to attack Syria after Lavrov said, don't do that no more. Continuing. Israel is using US-provided weapons to kill Palestinian civilians at an historic pace. Hamas says it wants to extend truce with Israel after latest prisoner swap. Qatar says Israel and Hamas agree to extend truce for two days. US military says it thwarted ship hijacking in Gulf of Aden near Somalia. Gaza truce brings lull in attacks on US troops in Iraq and Syria. Israel and Hamas exchange prisoners for the fifth day. Looking for Likud support, Netanyahu says he's the only one who can prevent a Palestinian state. Negotiations underway in Qatar to extend Gaza truce. US reaffirms there are no conditions on future military aid to Israel. Israel, Hamas, extend Gaza truce for seventh day. Israeli minister in charge of West Bank says territory is home to, quote, two million Nazis, end quote. Report details how Israel intentionally targets civilians in Gaza. IDF chief tells Blinken that Gaza campaign will take more than a few weeks. Israeli AI, quote, assassination factory, end quote, plays central role in the Gaza war. Israel planning for Gaza war to last over a year. US sent Israel 15,000 bombs since October 7th. Moving on to the wider West Asia slash Middle East region, we have rocket targets US base in Syria and House passes bill to permanently freeze $6 billion in Iranian funds. And now a new little section. This is entitled US Congress, aka the military industrial complex versus actual representatives. Senator Schumer vows to bring bill for Israel, Ukraine and Taiwan funding to floor for vote soon. Senator McConnell says calls to condition Israeli aid are, quote, ridiculous, end quote. Republican Massey casts lone no vote against bill equating anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism. Senator Rand Paul to force vote on Syria withdrawal. Moving on to China slash East Asia. China calls US, quote, disruptor of peace, end quote, after warship encounter in South China Sea. Moving on to Ukraine slash Russia. 
US denies it's pressuring Ukraine to negotiate with Russia. Internal polling suggests Zelensky would lose election to General Zeluzhny. And lastly, US slash NATO. Russia's Lavrov to attend OSCE meeting in NATO member North Macedonia. OSCE is the Organisation for Security Cooperation in Europe. It's sort of an extension of NATO to a degree, but only includes uh, European nations. NATO chief urges members to, quote, stay the course, quote, on Ukraine. And now for what other voices had to say, following the same general categorization. First of all, the genocide. The goal is ethnic cleansing, not defeating Hamas. Caitlin Johnston. Israel reopens the Gaza slaughterhouse. Chris Hedges, Shear Post. The eviction notice is being written and will come in four languages. Pepe Escobar, The Under Review. Banned Books by Craig Murray. This is an interesting one in which he attends a protest and there are UK police who are questioning pamphlets published by some communist organisation in, in, uh, in the UK. Anyway, he has a look at the materials and goes, hang on, there's nothing weird about this. They're quite careful about what they're saying. Anyway, interesting little point. And then we have how a slogan became bigger news than the murder of babies in Gaza by Jonathan Cook. This is a lovely article in which he looks into how the propaganda which the BBC is running causes them to do outrageously crazy things. So it's an interesting piece of media analysis by Jonathan Cook, who, uh, if you've been around here for a while, you'll know I like that guy. He's a very good writer, along with all the rest of these people, to be frank. And then we have Pro-Israel Trolls Mob Social Media by Alan McLeod at Consortium News. This is a fantastic piece of uh, social media analysis by Alan McLeod, who I think is one of the best young journalists out there. So another brilliant piece. Direct Action Targets U.S. Firms Arming Israel by Sam Perlow Freeman, Kim Regali and Anna Stavrianakanis at Consortium News. And this looks at protests happening in the U.K. And I include a link to an older article back from May by Craig Murray in which he talks about other protests that were going on back then, which he joined, and how... The recent laws in the UK had essentially made it impossible slash illegal to protest things like uh, Israeli arms manufacturing companies which were operating in the UK. So it's sort of related topics, but one of them's from May. Then we have US, UK, Oz, Defy International Law at UN by Joe Laurier. Good old UN Joe. Uh, and that's a scary situation where you look at the eight nations in the world that went, no, 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 we're quite happy with what the crap's going on down there and we're quite happy to affirm that the Golan Heights, that belongs to Israel. It's not Syrian. Who, what do you mean? Who cares that this 1967 six-day war was completely illegal? That's fine. Yeah, it's scary shit. Uh, and then there's another one. Watch UN Security Council debates catastrophe in Gaza, again by Joe Laurier from Consortium News. Moving on to the Ukraine slash Russian topic, we have Ukraine finally starts to build defence lines by Bernard at Moon of Alabama. And then on nuclear disarmament, we have 
Good piece from Scott. <laughs> Good old Martinov. His, his headlines are sort of shortened to the point. And so this is a nuclear disarmament article, and it's an interesting piece. It's fairly brief, and it references an article by Scott Ritter. So I advise, if you're interested in that sort of topic, have a little look. And then we have something a little bit special, because James Carden doesn't turn up too often. And I made a note here that I came across him a year or so ago. He's a very intelligent, rational US geopolitical strategic analyst, just the sort who aren't allowed in the think tanks. So there's a bit of a note below on that front. And this is an interview of James Carden with Scott Horton on The Scott Horton Show. So... Interesting, Pete. I, I haven't listened to it, to be honest. I don't need to. I know that what Carden has to say will be well-informed and considered. And then we have, under the videos section, a whole host of amazing stuffs. So first of all, I've, part two to the Lascaris interview by Regis Tremblay was published. And if you enjoyed reading that article, which I republished of his... I highly recommend both parts, and so part two's out there. Check it out. Lascaris is another one of these rational people who are actually looking at the things through a calm lens of international law and basic morality and going, this is pretty bloody obvious. So it's a wonderful interview. Please check it out. I love Tremblay as an interviewer. He's, he's well prepared, he's calm, and he gives his interviewees all of the space that they want. And this makes, this is just interviewing 101 so he's not trying to rush things into a 25 minute segment he's going no we've got an hour let's go and then he just says right let's do this in two parts there's a lot to this etc so moving on we have crosstalk possible peace my lavelle uh who's interviewing nikolai petro and gilbert doctorow now nikolai petro is a professor of international uh, relations at the university of rhode island i think it is he speaks Ukrainian and Russian uh, and has uh, family connections in Ukraine. He's been a, a voice of reason from way back when on the Ukrainian front. And so Lavelle and he and Gilbert Doktorow, who's a European geopolitical analyst from, I think he's Belgian or Dutch, one of the two. But he was in Russia in the 1990s and wrote a book about that. He's a very... Um, yeah, calm, educated, geopolitical analyst. So the three of them talk about what the hell a peace is going to look like in Ukraine. It's an excellent discussion, so I highly recommend it. And then we have a piece which is a bit out of date. It's like the week before this week, so back from week 47. But it's an important piece in which uh, Lavelle, again, but this time with uh, George Samueli, discuss geopolitics with Pepe Escobar. And the topic particularly, there's a bunch of them, but the big one is what the hell went down in the Argentinian presidential election recently. Uh, what the hell does that mean for the BRICS? Uh, and so it's an interesting discussion. The summary of it, it would be that essentially the US will be extremely happy about this because they've just stuck a Trojan horse inside BRICS+. Plus. Uh, that's the summary of it. But anyway, so listen to the, to the three of them. They're all very well informed, of course, and Pepe Escobar is Pepe Escobar. And that serves as a sort of backup, uh, background, I should say, to the article by Pepe Escobar, which I have linked above. And then we move on to an autopsy on Israel's historic assault on Palestine, in which Bob Shear interviews this Kuwaiti-born Canadian-based Palestinian doctor, Lubani. Haven't listened to it yet, but I know what 
<laughs> Shia does, this will be an extended interview in which you have essentially testimony from a very well-informed individual. That's how he rolls. So if you're interested in sort of the medical, moral background to the whole thing, check it out. There's a beautiful quote in the article, which uh, I've linked to. There's also a link directly to the uh, video in which he assists us by framing the conflict by stating that if you look at what the Israelis are doing, what they're doing is absolutely a replication of a colonial approach, which is that everything that the Palestinians do is about them all of a sudden. You know, whereas they don't conceive that the Palestinians are actually trying to achieve a degree of dignity and safety for themselves. Instead, it's all about, oh, they're attacking us. You know, it's it's, anyway, it's a wonderful piece. So check it out. Uh, Then we have Empire in Decline, Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson. So Wilkerson, in case you didn't know, was the chief of staff to uh, the Secretary of State uh, Powell back in the day of the lead up to the second Iraq war in 2003. Uh, And he and Powell terribly uh, regret the fact that that thing kicked off because of that disastrous presentation that he gave to the UN Security Council. However, uh, since then, Wilkerson has uh, reflected an awful lot on this and he's been teaching uh, international relations at a university. I can't remember for the minute. Anyway, this discussion he has with Makuras and Deason essentially amounts to him rolling out a a serious mea culpa. Like, we've got an awful lot to learn uh, here in the US about what the hell's gone down during the war of terror um, and... uh, you know, more thereafter. So it's um, a fairly deep reflection uh, on that front. If you're interested in that sort of thing, check it out. Uh, of course, Deason is a brilliant professor. He's from the University of Southeastern or Southern Norway uh, and is extremely well read on uh, Russian relations. And then we have a sequence of interviews from Judging Freedom. And they're all interesting in their own ways. First up, we have Karen Kwiatkowski. So the title is Truth, Diplomatic Deceit, Political Awakening and the Power of Freedom. And I think the lovely thing about this is that a female colonel really approaches the whole thing from a moral perspective and she throws some rather inconvenient truths of the history of the US back in the face of the viewers. So looks at the US oppression of the Indian native population of the US. She doesn't really quite get into slavery, but that's sort of there too. So she's the reflection that she provides, I think, is very appropriate. And it's worth factoring that understanding into the greater context of the discussions that are going on. And then we have Scott Ritter doing his thing. And I used this particular uh, interview as the basis for a piece which I published earlier in the week. And then we have Max Blumenthal, who was really happy to finally get on Judging Freedom, and Napolitano treats him with respect, as he should. And one of the great things about Blumenthal is that he's a Jew, and he's quite capable of understanding the mentality uh, and the policies of the State of Israel and names all of their elite force brigades by name and so because he speaks Hebrew and reads it and so forth. So, you know, that's helpful. And then, of course, we have the um, inimitable... Colonel Douglas McGregor. On the yes, X or no front, my gosh, there were three articles, four, four articles even this week. And a few of them are interesting. I mean, not so much all of them. Uh, I mean, obviously the big ones, uh, any other result is better than a war. 
that where I'm sort of going gee, and that's the response to Colonel McGregor's uh, interview with Napolitano. But the big one for me was another Australian whistleblower, the David McBride story. And there's a connection there that I failed to make, which is a bit, whoops, it sort of occurred to me afterwards. And so if we look at when I released the Gorgons, I released them at the Five Eyes uh, Military Intelligence Network because they really are what's undermining the Australian judiciary. And it's, that's being allowed to happen by the political leadership in Australia because Australia is a vassal to the US. Clear and obvious, right? And there are a few reasons for that. One of them is, as I point out, that uh, Prime Minister Gough Whitlam was removed from power with extreme assistance from the CIA. Uh, and this is a known fact in Australia. This is not even slightly controversial. This was back in, in the early 70s. So there's that front. But there's other factors to this as well. And this was a, there was a comment made by a lady who was the head of the Australian Greens Party back in the day, Christine Milne's her name, and very intelligent uh, politician. And her comment was that when you look at the behaviour of the Australian political elite, and I mean politicians rather than establishment types, especially the male versions of them, what they're doing is they recognise the threat in terms of you, you, you are a vassal and bloody well keep in line, but there's another element to it too, and that is that they sort of want to be in the big boys club. It's a club membership game. It's like, oh, now I'm Prime Minister, I get to hang out with all of these other really powerful people, like, you know, the US President or whoever else it is that they're wanting to kowtow to. It's a club membership game. So that's another thing to understand. But the other one is that if they pass effective whistleblower protection, what does that do? Well, that means it makes it even more difficult for them to allow the subjugation of the Australian judiciary to occur, right? So once they do affect these whistleblower protections, then the courts all of a sudden can't keep suppressing the evidence which is going to allow for effective defence and so forth. So it's not a complete end run around it, but there is a relationship between the fact that there are no effective whistleblower protections in Australia and the fact that Australia needs to be a vassal of the US and the threat of the CIA. So there are interrelated topics and I don't believe I related them as well as I should have in the uh, podcast. So there's a bit of a whoops. There is another thing that hit me during the week whilst I was listening to the second interview between Regis Tremblay and uh, Lascaris. And Lascaris states something which is sort of patently obvious. And whilst thinking about it, I got, I got, I got thinking a bit further. And so what he says was, uh, what he said was, a desperate, determined, insurgent army will always be a formidable opponent. This is a known thing. This is the old, you know, you back someone into a corner. Thing. You know, if you just keep repressing an indigenous population, it's really important this part. If you keep oppressing an indigenous population, they're going to rise up against you. They just, it's, it's, what they, it's what's going to happen. And all they need is any amount of external support, and they're never going to stop. That's why they are desperate, because that's, there's only one place for them to be, and their land is there. And if you're kicking their, kicking their heads in while they're on it, it's like, they become desperate and determined insurgent forces. So it's a known thing, right? 
So let's have a look at the sorts of forces that the CIA, whatever, call them what you want, MI6, the, the rest of them, right? The proxy forces, which the US has been employing over the years, right? So and then, just let's look at the Syrian dirty war and the Ukraine proxy war. So in the Syrian case, what they're doing is empowering a bunch of religious extremists. So there were some that were native to the region, Syria slash Iraq, and of course they were you know, assisting and arming and training and whatever those. But what they also did was shipped in a whole lot of Salafi jihadists from all over the place, and particularly from Central uh, Asia, actually. So it all sort of relates back to the Nagano-Karabakh thing, but particularly Afghanistan. So, and that, if you really wind the clock back, goes back to Saudi Arabia and the arming of the Mujahideen in the 1980s. And there you get into Osama bin Laden and all the rest of the rubbish. But the point I was trying to, that I was thinking about was, okay, well, these people, if you look at the forces in Syria that were trying to place pressure upon the Assad government to get the population to turn against the Assad government, so therefore the US could affect a regime change and get their fingers on whatever the, you know, the PARS natural gas field or whatever the hell it was really about. It's always about bloody money and oil and or gas in this case or whatever. So these are not, these are not as determined as a native indigenous population. It's a bunch of religious extremists, and most of them foreign, who are being then foreign funded and armed. It's not the same as an indigenous population that are defending their own land and culture and territory. This is a, they're different beasts. And the same is true in uh, Ukraine. The impetus, the motive force behind the conflict in Ukraine are a bunch of Nazis. Again, these are ideological, they might be local and native, but they're not sort of defending their land in a sense. These are people who have an ideological bent. It's the same old, it's like the Israelis. It's a, it's, it's a um, white supremacist ideology. And it doesn't quite stand up to a sort of an indigenous native culture. So it, it's a pretty tough battle, right, between the um, both sides on Ukraine because they've both been there for a while and so forth. But I, in the end, the, it's the, the non... There's, a, there's sort of a firmer moral grounding in just defending your soil because we have a right to be there than aggressing against people like that because you think they're subhuman. And that's exactly the case with the Ukrainian Nazis. They referred to the Russian indigenous speaking Russian ethnic indigenous population as orcs, for crying out loud. So it doesn't have the same moral fortitude. So this was the comparison I reached when I was thinking about what Lascaris was saying. I was talking about a desperate, determined, insurgent army will always be a formidable opponent. And they will be, especially if the basis is purely on this is our land, this is our culture, and we're just standing up for ourselves to be here because we've been here for centuries. Instead of we're aggressing against these people who are human vermin. It's a much weak... So th there's, there's an energy about the extremism, because it's the same in Syria. It's like, you know, the you know, jihadists, whatever. There's an, ex there's an amount of energy that comes with the extremism, but I don't think it's as long-lasting and as deep 
as something that doesn't involve these these stupid, you know, white supremacist or religious exceptionalist approaches. It's a, just a speculation, but it, was, it sort of struck me and I went, hmm, sort of makes sense. Anyway, so that'll do it for this week. Hope you're having a good one wherever you are. The summer has arrived here in Australia. I'm very happy about that. And my, my family are coming and we're going to have a great time over the coming break. So I hope you do too. Welcome back to Yes, X or No Audio.